Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will de devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to see all of you this evening. I was just, I just chatted to Will as I walked by him coming up here. It's just really good to see you singing tonight. Um, it just, I think there's just a sweetness about it. I saw some of you like really paying attention to the words. I come from a background where we, um, we did a lot more kind of, I guess, of the modern like worship songs where, you know, there's a chorus and the chorus goes a bunch of times. And some of those like I really like. Um, but when I came on staff here a year and a half ago, I noticed one of the first things was pretty obvious. And Heather and I have been to a couple of services. We've known and followed the church since before I came on staff. But to have the hymns that we sing in the hymn-based um, songs that we so often sing, you have to think about the lyrics. And I think that that is just so engaging for your heart and your mind. Because the original command in Deuteronomy is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so I just thought that was really, really pretty. Um, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to sit for part of tonight, most of tonight. And the reason I'm going to sit is because I asked Heather the other day, um, my sweet wife, I said, am I, um, am I mean to the guys when I teach sometimes? And I thought she would say no. Um, and she said, well, you're kind of snarky. And so I was like, that's not good. So, and, and Heather's like, she's my, she's my truth in, uh, in life outside of, you know, she's like the Holy Spirit in a dress kind of thing. And so um, she just, she helps me know like how to read the room sometimes. But I really want all of us to kind of have a family feel as we look at this chapter in Acts uh, chapter six. I, I want you fellows to, to hear what I think the scriptures are saying. I want you ladies to hear what the scriptures are saying, and I think I can be a little more self-controlled. Um, sometimes the lion just comes out, and I apologize. Yeah, like yesterday, before a staff meeting, one of the guys, um, he like grabbed me like a wrestling move, and it was just like something just snapped, and like he was like, he was, I got behind him and like I was holding his neck really tight and he was kind of uncomfortable. And, um, and so anyway, I'm like, I was a little rough. And I didn't mean to be, and, and so I apologized to him when I saw how red his neck was. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that I did that to you. And so I know that sometimes like the, you can just, it's just kind of like being a boy. And so I feel like if I'm here, we're good. So that being said, I'm gonna pray. 
we're gonna look at this and it's really a really simple text that's really hard and rare to see lived out. Father, would you speak to us through this simple, clear text that you have given us? Lord, would you help all of the men in the room to be the men that are described here? And Lord, would you help all of the women in the room to look for that kind of man? And Lord, these traits are described and ascribed to these men, but they are all traits that can be embodied by women and should be. And I ask that that be true of the ladies here tonight. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So we're in chapter six of Acts. In these days when the disciples, I'm reading the chapter now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenist arose. And the complaint was that the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So when you get to chapter six, we've already seen multiple times in the book of Acts, like the good and the bad of church world always come together. You can have like the best day ever and people are getting saved and like, you're like, I walked into church and I was bored to death and then God convicted me and I'm on my way to Africa to be a missionary, like I never saw it coming. Like you can have all these incredible things happen and then on the way home, you get like three flat tires, you find out that somebody in your family's sick and, and, and then you get there and your roommate ate your thing in the refrigerator with your name on it. Like it's all happens, like it just, it's just the way life goes and it especially happens that way in the church. So just expect, we see this all through the book of Acts, just expect that when something great happens with the Lord, probably something opposing is going to come pretty quick. And it's not just Murphy's Law, it's just kind of the world we live in, but it's also Satan hates when the Lord is moving and good things happen. So this complaint comes. And the apostles, it says in verse two, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. And so we know at this point, there's like, I'm gonna call it 120 just because that's a good round number, but there's more than that. So there's at least 120 uh, uh, disciples that get together, that are gathered together, they're leaders in the church, this expanding, exploding church in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, this church that is just like breaking out. They get them all together and they start to talk about this complaint. It sounds like a church staff meeting, like a really big church staff meeting. And they start talking about this complaint of we've gotta take better care of the widows in, in the community. Well, who brought that up? Well, the Hellenists brought that up. But regardless of who brought it up, this is the issue. We gotta take care of these ladies. And so they get together and they said, it is not right, I'm still in verse two, it is not right that we give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. No, that sounds like, really prideful. It's like uncomfortable to read out loud. I mean, I pull trailers, uh, I pulled one tonight, I pull them on Sunday morning, like we set up chairs, um, we do all kinds of stuff. Jeremy Brooks is here, one of our elders and longtime staff members, and he's got his Atlanta Braves hat on. Jeremy has like three little girls uh, and he's got like a, the sweetest wife in the planet, like Lizzie's so sweet. She was in our college ministry back in the day. Like Jeremy's out here like running around doing all kinds of stuff, running to the collective and setting up and teaching a class and running back and doing this and that and putting bo books in, in boxes and packing them up. We're doing all this stuff. If one of us said, we're too good for that, we just should be preaching and praying. Y'all might be like, well, we're too good for this church then. Like we, you, you need to like show us some sweat equity. What they're saying is, this is one more task and our plate is full. 
We can't do what God has called us to do and do it well and serve these widows and do these things. So they didn't just slough it off and hire out help. Verse three, therefore brothers, talking to all the guys gathered together, and that actually, that word brothers can actually be, um, can be translated brothers and sisters. So this could be this mixed group of folks who are disciples, who are followers of Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So what we have is the three things that are gonna center around our whole night tonight. Reputation, being filled by the Holy Spirit, and being wise. This whole passage, this whole rest of our time together revolves around these three things. The church initially said, we're gonna call deacons. Now they're not called deacons here, but this is the beginning of the diaconid. That's the Greek word for it. The beginning of the ministry of the deacons. And the qualifications for these seven men are these three things. They're clear, they're simple, only three things, and these seven men would rise to the top. What's their reputation? Are they filled with the Holy Spirit? And do they have wisdom? I'm a little ADD. I'm not sure what is clacking around in the ceiling, but we're just gonna pretend it's not happening. I don't know what that is, but it is clacking around in the ceiling. So, Will, did you take your Adderall? Did you, did you hear it? Will's like, no, I can't hear it, I'm leaving. Yeah, it's like very distracting, but anyway. But in like a month, we'll be in our new building. This is a sign. This is a sign that we'll be like in a new place soon. Uh, so these are the three simple things. Now, the deacons that I grew up with at my church, they were different than these guys. Um, the deacons I grew up with, I remember there was like a door, a back door. Did any of you go to like a more of a country church, a Baptist country church? Anybody, show of hands? Anybody? Yes, I love that. Did any of you have the deacons with like the maybe shorter ties that smoked? Did anybody, anybody have those? Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You know the guy, right? Like, like, you couldn't drink, but you sure could smoke. Like, that was fine. Smoking was totally fine if you were in the South. Um, but like, those guys were like in charge of the church. In fact, when I first got into ministry, a friend of mine told me, he said, don't work at a small town First Baptist Church. And I said, why? He said, those are pastor killers. And I said, what do you mean? And uh, he said, the deacons run the show in those churches. They will fire you if you don't do everything they say. And in, in a lot of ways, he's not wrong. You see, initially, like it, very quickly, that is not the role of these first guys. That's not what they're called. They're called to be men of good repute, full of the spirit and full of wisdom in order to be the servants of the servants. That's really, really important because that's, that's where this breaks down a lot of times. What kind of person wants to be the servant of a servant? The disciples are servants of the Lord and they're ministering the word and prayer. These folks are called to be the servants of the servants. And it's just fascinating to me that that's who gets called. So let's just take a look at this first part, good repute. Good repute, a good reputation. It's demonstrated by being known by others in the church and outside the church. 
Good repute, it's demonstrated through being known by others inside and outside the church. 1 Peter 3.16, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 3.16 real quick. I'll read it to you. I did cheat, I did have it marked in my Bible, so I'll give you to the count of three. One, two, three. 1 Peter 3.16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Look, the whole New Testament talks about the value of a Christian's reputation, both in the church and outside the church. Men, hear me. Every one of you men who has been born again, who has the Holy Spirit in you, I think every one of you, without exception, should strive to have the three characteristics listed of being a deacon. There is literally not an excuse that you, in Christ, would not strive to have all three of these characteristics ascribed to you. Now maybe you can't be a deacon, maybe you travel too much for work, maybe you couldn't fulfill the responsibilities, but you should all be the kind of folks that get nominated to be a deacon, a man of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wise. Now that does not happen overnight, but it does happen and it should happen in every, man, in every Christian man's life. And every Christian woman in here, your list just got a little more narrow of who, if you want me to stand beside you at the altar and let you guys say your I do's, he's gotta fit into these parameters. This Sunday will be three weddings and two weekends for me. And it's amazing to see how all three of these men are either growing into or already into the spot where they would qualify to be one of these deacons. And all three of those ladies either waited until he was ready before the pursuit really happened or found him once he was already in that spot. So let's just talk about this is one of the first red flags that I see. A guy will show up and he shows up often, but you wonder who is he? And the first question we ask at Christ's covenant is, hey, is, is he in a group? Why do we ask if the man is in a group? Because it's very easy to walk in the door and present yourself how you wanna present yourself if no one else is looking in. You need to have, Katie and I have these conversations in the office sometimes about just the value of you all being known. When we talk about groups, just these past couple of weeks, we've been talking about putting people into new small groups and just the value of being known. These seven men were known. 120 people were like, oh, I can list this guy and 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 the names lined up and they were like, yeah, oh yeah, we know them. And not only were they known in the church, but clearly these guys would have had to have had a good reputation outside the church also. Look, fellas, we love to see you. This is gonna be a little snarky, sweetheart. We love to see your Instagram, but we don't need any more gym pics in front of the mirror. Like, it's not that awesome. Um, I have seen, I, I've seen people that like, uh, some guys that I was like, man, I think that's a really solid godly guy. And then there's a girl in his Instagram story and he makes her an object in the story. Like, look at me with her. And she's just a thing. 
in the way that he portrays her in that story. So while you can have a good reputation at times with each other in here, it's not hard in 2022 to be able to see like, what are you like outside of here? And these men lined up, their worlds lined up. They didn't have a room in their life that a flashlight wasn't shining in. Secrets, I, I, I knew, I, I've told you this before, it's a great line. Um, one of my friends uh, helps out with a, a ministry where men who struggle with sexual addiction, they're part of this ministry. And the tagline for the ministry is, secrets kill, but honesty heals. Now these seven men weren't perfect. They didn't enter this service perfect. They didn't stay perfect, like they, they, well, because they weren't, but they, they, like, they never reached perfection. They didn't have perfect lives in the church or outside of the church. Just a second ago, when I was going over the slides with Reagan, I said, the slides should be pretty darn clear tonight. And I was like, I just said darn, I'm about to go preach. And Reagan, in her graceful way, said, at least she didn't say the other word. Uh, and so, like, none of us are gonna be like perfect, perfect. But we shouldn't have a room in our life that's off limits. For me, being your pastor, you should be able to go back to my laptop whenever you want and look at my browsing history. You should be able to scroll through my text messages and see who I'm talking to and see what I'm saying. Now, don't all do it at once because it'll just make us here stay really late. But like, you know, like, but I just feel like, man, that type of accountability isn't too much. Heather and I have kind of a, this relationship where it's like, you should be able to enter into our lives at any point in time and we should be able to let you in and say, here's what's, here's what's happening. Even if we're arguing with each other, because at least there's no secrets. I think that was a, a big, big push for these guys is that they knew them. And that 1 Peter 3, 3, 16 is a great verse. Even if they speak bad against you, let them be put to shame. An old definition of character is, character is what you are doing when no one else is looking. Here's a good litmus test for you. Is there anyone that could walk in these doors right over here that could in honesty destroy your reputation that you've been trying to build? That would mean that there's a part of your repute that needs healing and needs work. Now there's plenty of people that could walk in and say, I don't like him or I don't like her or those kinds of things, that, that, that's for all of us. But someone that could truthfully walk in these doors and say, I know some things that you don't know. And all of a sudden they rip a mask off of you that you've been wearing. That couldn't happen with these seven men. The second thing that was ascribed to these men is that they would have good repute and then they would be full of the Spirit. And being full of the Spirit is, 
demonstrated by a mind set on God. I think this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit is very interesting. And I know we come from different backgrounds here, from uh, Catholic to Pentecostal to uh, Baptist to Presbyterian to Methodist. Like we probably have all the opinions on being filled with the Holy Spirit and how many times it happens and what it looks like. Um, but there's a great little book. And if you don't wanna read it, you can listen to it in probably your next two commutes. A.W. Tozer, a preacher in, uh, in the early 1940s and 50s, uh, A.W. Tozer has this little book. It's really a Sunday night sermon in book form, and it's less than one hour on audiobook, and it's called, get this, it's a super complicated, you'll probably have to write this down, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the whole title. That's exactly what it is, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like 58 minutes on audiobook in like just a few short pages. But it's a great little practical guide on what does it really mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. These men, it was required that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you measure that? How do you, I see Caroline here. Caroline, I'm gonna do Caroline's wedding in, in a few short weeks. And Caroline, we've known the Etheridge family for a long time. Like, if, if you were to like assess me, like, is Thomas filled with the Spirit? Like, would you have a checklist? Like, or if I was like, is Caroline filled with the Spirit? It just seems so nebulous. It seems like, how do you get your hands around that? Like, was it first century polygraph? Like, what did they do to know, like, are they filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, here, let me just give you, I'm gonna give you, a list of seven things and I'm just gonna rattle them off real quick and they're not on the slides. Some signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You demonstrate a desire for the things of God that you didn't used to. Maybe you're like, oh, I don't like that music anymore. Oh, I don't talk like that anymore. Oh, I wanna read my Bible more. In fact, that's actually one of the points. The second one, you have a hunger for the word of God. One of the signs of being filled with the Spirit is that you have a hunger for the Word of God. That was the first thing, by the way, that I noticed in my life once I became a Christian. I didn't know how to use this book. I didn't know, I mean, I grew up in church and I was embarrassed to say I didn't know how to have a quiet time, didn't know how to do any of it, but I wanted to read this book. It was, and it was bizarre. I had, it wasn't like I conjured it up. It was just like, it just happened. The third thing, there's, and this one's an interesting one. There begins to be in a person filled with the Holy Spirit, a hunger for Christian community. You want some people that are on the same team to be in your life. That's a really important one. If you've had the same friends your whole life and your friends are not walking with the Lord, it, it should at least be like burdensome for you. By the way, this is a hard one because there's some friendship divorces that often happen when a person comes to Christ and it is gut-wrenching. And we're happy to meet with you and talk about that. I know some of you, we've had conversations, you're going through that and it is a hard thing. And it's even made harder when you both go to the same church. And one of you is just growing closer and closer to the Lord and the other one is just continuing to bob up and down in the nebulous world of one foot in and one foot out. A fourth thing would be a burden for people who don't know Jesus. And that's a big one. And some of you, I see you, I'm like making eye contact with some of you. Some of you are just like full-blown evangelists and you didn't used to be. 
You're like, ooh, they don't know Christ, but they're coming here. Let me meet with them. I wanna talk with them. I love them. I want them to have the joy that I have, the peace I have, the forgiveness that I have. This is incredible. Some of you like were like excellent at this in college. You lived in that sorority house. You lived in that fraternity house and you were like, they called you like preacher or um, like deaconess or whatever they called you. And, uh, and now you're like struggling to find that because you're like, I want that again. I want that community of people who don't know the Lord because I love them and I want them to know the Lord. And that's a beautiful thing. Uh, a next, another one is you have a conviction over sin. Let me be more specific. You are quick to confess sin. You don't let sin build a home in your life. And that's really, really a sign of being filled with the Spirit when you're like, oh my goodness, I sinned. It burdens me. I'm going to confess that now. I do think this is a little bit more mysterious, but it is definitely a sign of someone filled with the Spirit. There is power in their prayer. Someone who's filled with the Spirit of God, who's walking with God, prays in accordance with God's will, and things seem to happen. It's really powerful when you see somebody who's walking with the Lord, because you know, like, can I, could you pray for me? And if you've ever been that person, you're like, you want me to pray for you? And that's a good sign. That's a good sign that you're like surprised by it. Here's the last one of these seven. You've seen victory. And I mean in the W column, like game over, victory over sin. It's not still that same old struggle you've always had and you're just a little better now than you used to be. One of the things the Lord does, hear me on this, in a world that is so addicted to so many things, there is a victory that the Spirit of God gives. Sometimes it is instantaneous and you hear those testimonies, I quit cold turkey, I used to this and now I don't. But sometimes it is a process of sanctification, but there is victory in a person living a spirit-filled life over sin. You truly look back and say things like, I once was, but now in Christ I am. And it doesn't mean you're, you're, you're never going to sin, but what you see is like this death of sin and this victory over it, and it is not who you are anymore. So let me just give you a quick line. I was going through that A.W. Tozer book and he said, look, here's three, three simple ways to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One, believe that you can be filled with the Spirit of God if you're a Christian, because if you don't believe you can, then you won't be filled with the Spirit because there is an element of faith in being filled with the Spirit. This is not having the Holy Spirit, by the way. I should clarify this. Christians have the Holy Spirit. This is being empowered and filled by that Spirit. And by the way, you're always filled with something. You're always filled with something. But one, you have to trust that God can fill you with his spirit. Two, you have to understand that as a believer, you have all the Holy Spirit access you will ever have at the moment that you got saved. Three, you need to realize that apart from the Holy Spirit, you have no power to live effectively for Jesus. And Tozer says, and he quoted an old friend of his, uh, or at least I think it was a friend of his, A.B. Simpson, Dr. A.B. Simpson. He quoted him and said, uh, Dr. Simpson used to say, being filled with the Spirit, if you believe those things, is as easy as breathing. And I think that is incredible. 
I think these seven men who had good reputation as they walked with the Lord truly believed being filled with the Spirit is as easy as breathing. Heather and I were talking today on the phone and she had had like a, a stressful day and we just had a lot going on the last, last little bit and so she was kind of like kind of at her wit's end of like, um, I think I might have a mental breakdown because I'm so tired. And some of you were like, here, here, sister, me too. And, uh, and so I, I just, I was telling her about this and I said, hey, let me, let me just pray that you will be filled with the Spirit. And you know what? You see that in the book of Acts. You see people praying for each other to be filled with the Spirit. You can pray just that simple prayer, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. So, <clears throat> I think the second component, good reputation, full of the spirit demonstrated by a mind set on the Lord is really, really incredible, but it may create a sense of panic in your life. And I want you to know if it creates a sense of panic that you might be filled and more controlled by the spirit of God, that is not God giving you that panic. But it could be sin in your life that if the Holy Spirit fills you, will get rooted out. And that can cause a sense of panic. If I'm really filled with the Lord, is God going to take this thing away? I promise you this. Truly, every good and perfect gift is from above. And if he does take something away, it wasn't a good and perfect gift. Something that you created and you held onto and you formed and you made and you bowed down to. And there's a better good and perfect gift that can replace that thing. If you want clarity on what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, by the way, just write these verses down and it was in the original slide or the slide still up, I think, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. That is the clearest picture in the New Testament of what a person looks like who is walking full of the Holy Spirit. They have the, the nine traits about them. They have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you wanna do a little extra reading, go to verses 18 through 21 and you can see what a person's look like, a person's life looks like who is walking by the flesh and not by the Spirit. And you can line those two up and see where do I fall. It's actually a really good little take home quiz of am I filled with the Holy Spirit. The last of the three characteristics, full of wisdom. This one to me is the most mysterious of all. But I think if I had to break it down, especially for tonight's purposes, with the young adults, I would say these two traits are the most important. I think wisdom is demonstrated best by is the person teachable and is there control in their speech? The Bible is so full about our speech. James chapter three is like almost a whole chapter on speech. It's a fascinating chapter. In, in James 3, he says, he talks about how the tongue is like a rudder and a rudder is so small on a boat and yet it directs the whole course of the boat. And the tongue is like a little spark and a little spark can set an entire forest on fire. And then he goes on and he says, and who can tame the tongue? 
A person who's got a good reputation, who's full of the Spirit, has the best shot of anybody at taming that dangerous thing between the top and bottom sets of teeth. I think another little component is this sense of teachability. Now, I worked with college students for a long time, and college students know everything, but I'm giving you like, you're, you're better than that. Like, you know you don't know everything. You know, like, I don't know what I don't know. And I think that's so good, this teachability that you have. I think you ought to maintain that until you're like 105 and wash up on the shores of heaven. Like, there's something beautiful about seeing a person continue to learn and to grow and figure out who is the Lord and how do you handle this? And so what if somebody's five years younger than you and you can learn from them? And it's nice when they're like 70 years older and you're like, oh, I definitely wanna learn from you. But man, we can so learn from each other. I think Peter, the oldest disciple, and John, the youngest disciple, I think they switch spots often, learning from one another. How do we do this thing? How do we walk with the Lord? There's a, is, is there a sense of teachability about you or is it I got this thing? If there's this like resistance to learning, you know, the, the Bible's interesting. It talks about hold fast to the mystery of our faith. You're already apostate when you're like, I got it figured out. It's a mystery. In Ephesians 5, when Paul talks about marriage, he's like, this is a profound mystery. Paul loved the word mystery in conjunction with the gospel. It is a mysterious thing. And you know what we are? We're like bumping around in the dark together with the Bible and the Holy Spirit, still kind of in the dark though, because we're a little bit clueless. And we're just kind of figuring this thing out together. And it's okay to say, I don't know, I've never walked through that. Let's pray about it. Let's dig in the word. Let's see if there's somebody else who has. These are the three traits I wanna read you this incredible verse from Isaiah chapter 50, verse four. Because it talks about this prophecy of Jesus and how Jesus would have both of these things, speech and being teachable. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who were taught, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word him who is weary, morning by morning, he awakens my ear to hear as those who were taught. How beautiful is it that this prophecy of Jesus himself, morning by morning, would have the tongue of encouragement in life, but also the ears to listen to his father. I, I, we, I wanna keep going and going and I wanna give you more and more, but I'm gonna start to land the plane here in a second. You know, Paul gives a fuller definition of these three qualities. As the church grows and as it builds, he gives a full definition of what it means to be a deacon. And in there, he talks about what it means to be a godly woman also in that same passage. And if you wanna go back and read it, I would encourage you to do it. It's 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. And it's, it's an incredible passage, a little more fuller definition than these three characteristics, but all three of these characteristics are found in this passage. And 
it's, it's beautiful, but I just wanna kinda start to, to land the plane with the two biggest disqualifiers that I've seen when it comes to especially men, young men stepping into the role of servant leader. The first one would be sexual sin. Now, no man in this room is without sexual sin. And I'm talking to you right now, men. No man in this room is without sexual sin. But every day we live, if we have those three things, that reputation is improving. We're being filled with the Spirit and we're walking in wisdom should be a day further down the road than that last episode of sexual sin. And one of the things that hurts the most with sexual sin, and one of the pitfalls that Satan uses is he gets a guy who's like showing these signs and growing and maturing, and then he blows it. He messes up online or he goes out with one of you and you guys go too far and he led the way in that. And now we have two people hurt. And it just, you can see it just creates a mess. Not an irreparable mess, but it's a mess. And now we gotta take five steps back to work on both parties healing and confessing and not just covering up and not just putting on a mask and not just brushing it under the rug and getting both folks back healthy and walking with the Lord. So that's the biggest disqualifier that I've seen. The second one goes along with the last point of wisdom. And it's gonna sound a little bit peculiar, but the second one would be self-promotion. A guy who comes in the church and finds a way to be seen and to be heard. And that ends up being why he's present. That person will find being a servant of a servant repulsive. And unfortunately, it happens all the time, especially in large young adult gatherings. Fellas, I encourage you. You and I, we have an audience of one. He's the only one that we need to ask, how'd I do? I love sometimes on Tuesday night when we're tearing down and we're moving all the stuff out, some, some and, and this is not like an indictment, it's not like you all have to do this, but there are times that some of the guys that are tearing down and some of the ladies, I know they missed out on conversations with people. And when we get to the new building, you won't have to do this anymore, but I know they missed out on conversations with people because they had their head down and they're loading stuff up and they're moving chairs and pushing stuff out and doing all the things. And it's just this incredible little observation of a servant of a servant. We're just really grateful for that. And I know you've sacrificed for that. Here's how I land the plane. The bad guys in the story. Every good story has bad guys. The Hellenist, they're bad guys. 
And most folks, we miss them, we, we kind of pass over them. But the Hellenists, they're the bad guys. You know the history of Hellenists. There's like Plato and Aristotle, the Greco-Roman world, they come together and they start trying to figure out like what is the meaning of life and how, does, how, to, how do we best function and, and how do we find our best selves. And they create things like the gymnasium and they have their plays and they do all this stuff. And uh, it all you know, comes from Alexander the Great and his, his rule. Uh, all these folks come on the scene. And if you had to practically describe what a Hellenist looked like, ultimately, they would say that human reasoning is the source of all truth. But what a, what a Hellenist would look like today would be someone who is primarily knowledge hungry. How much can I know? Better yet, how much can I tell you that I know? A Hellenist today would be an armchair quarterback. They bring all the problems and none of the solutions. That's what these guys did. They brought all the problems and none of the solutions. They were armchair quarterbacking. They were power hungry. They were self-centered. I think in today's world, people are, are overly culturally sensitive, meaning that they're not pleasing God first, but people. These folks would would run from the thought of having to do what they said needed to be done. Hey, why don't you guys, why didn't they just go serve the widows? But the church still addressed the problem and said, you know what? Bad accusers, but right accusation. None of them were picked. I don't want you to be one of those folks. As the story goes on, Stephen, full of grace and power, one of the servants of the servants, as the chapter goes on in verse eight, says, by the way, one of the servants of the servants was also doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen gets arrested. He gives an incredible sermon in Acts 7, 51 through 60, that's right, there's 60 verses in chapter seven. In 51 through 60, he goes on and he gives this big, big sermon. It's really kind of a history lesson. And then he turns to him and he says, and by the way, you, you he, calls him like, he calls him names basically. And he says, you killed Jesus. His blood's on your hands. And he looks up to heaven and he says, I see the son of man standing by the hand of the Father. They, they were so mad at this deacon, this servant of servants, they gnashed their teeth and covered their ears and then stoned and killed him, the first martyr. I mean, come on, like that's, what a way to go out. We're all gonna go out somehow, right? Like, what a way to go out. You're just like gonna give a history and then at the end just be like, and by the way, you need Jesus. And then they kill you. You're like, look at, you're gonna get a statue, definitely. Um, like, I mean, like you're maybe a necklace or a pendant or something, but like, like it's, I mean, like that's really, really cool. What an incredible way to go out. And who would have ever thought? It should have been like a, like a Paul or somebody else. Like they tried to get Paul later, but uh, it should have been one of them. But no, it's like the servant of the servants. Do you see how the Lord lifted up the servant of the servant? You and I, we don't get a chapter in the Bible. Stephen's in two of them. One of them, 60 verses. The fear in being a humble servant of the Lord who is, has a good reputation, who's full of the spirit and who has wisdom and conducts their life with wisdom. The fear is that you'll get unnoticed, overlooked and nobody will care about you. 
That is a lie from the pits of hell. In due time, the Lord will lift up the humble. And he lifted up this man. It's incredible. The irony is, if tonight you're pushing back on this, you're like, yes, I'm a believer, but, but good reputation, full of the spirit, full of wisdom, that's a little bit too much for me. The irony is you're the bad guy in the story. There's no option in this story. You're either a bad guy Hellenist or you're one of the apostles or one of the seven picked. So maybe tonight's really a gospel issue night. Are you a believer and you've just lost your way. You hide and you're not known. The flesh rules and not the spirit. Your sophomoric language and behavior tries to cover over the foolishness of your life. Have you forgotten what brought you to the cross in the first place? It was a miserable, sin-filled life. Don't trade in the cross of Jesus for a seat in hell. We want to turn back and come to the one who loves us. And if you're a skeptic who's exhausted with the mask and the sexual sins and the self-promotion and mistake after mistake, I think tonight is the night you come to Jesus, the revolutionary who is kind and calls out love for you. In Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus meets Matthew, he says these words. People were picking on him for meeting with a tax collector and he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. Do you hear him calling you tonight? I want to pray for us. Will and the band are going to come and lead. Lord, we lift up tonight to you. This opportunity, this, this time to come back to you, Lord. If we've been away, Lord, would you call us clearly where we need to repent, Lord, if it's in not being wise, not being a good reputation, not being full of the Spirit. And Lord, would you meet us? And Lord, if we've been living as a skeptic, Lord, and far, far from you, would tonight be the night that we come back to you or come to you for the first time and take off the mask and dare to be accepted and loved and forgiven by you? It's in Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen.